Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with Dr. James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Jim is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, president of Serious Times, a ministry devoted to exploring the intersection of faith and culture, a graduate school professor, a former seminary president, and the author of more than 20 books. I am your host, Alexis Dry, and I can't wait to dive into this week's conversation. Hello, everyone. Thank you again for joining us for this week's episode of the Church and Culture Podcast. Today, Jim and I are going to dedicate this conversation to the topic of gender. We have touched a bit on LGBTQ rights and lifestyles in previous episodes, but I think just not enough to really unpack such a pervasive subject in our world today. So, of course, there's going to be a lot that we can't get to in this conversation, but I think what we're hoping to do, at least what I'm hoping to ask Jim to do, is provide a theological foundation for really what the heart of the issue here is that would then help us or equip us to equip us to think differently regarding its various manifestations throughout culture when they come about. So to start off, Jim, I thought it might be helpful to briefly trace the recent evolution of this topic, because it seems as if conversations regarding the LGBTQ community have really evolved in recent decades from this kind of static focus on sexual orientation to a much larger exploration of gender and what it means to be male and female. So can you help us understand a little bit of the historical background of this conversation? Yeah, it really has left the original conversations that culture was having about uh, homosexuality and homoerotic behavior and broadened out into, as you mentioned, all things gender. And really of late, when you think of LGBTQ, there's been a focus on the T in all of that. The logic of, the, um, of, of those who embrace um, all things LGBTQ is really a philosophy of individualism, individual freedom. Uh, meaning self-determination. I mean, this is who I am, so this is what I'm going to pursue. This is how I'm wired up. This is my orientation. This is, and we let that dictate in terms of lifestyle choices and what legitimates lifestyle choices. And I think that's really key. There's not a transcendent sense of necessarily right or wrong. There's this internal sense of what I want to be right or wrong or what I perceive to be right or wrong or what I want to do, what I want to be, who I feel I am. And then that is pursued and the legitimation of that is indeed personally self-generated. And you know, this is who I am, so this is what I do. Um, and so the questions that are, we're facing now is, what does it mean to be male? What does it mean to be female? Uh, could someone be in the wrong body or um, have the soul of another sex? You'll hear that put that way. Is gender sex? Is sex gender? Uh, is, is it my choice? Is it something that is within me to choose? And, and here's the critical question. If there's incongruence between biological sex and internal sense of self, what is it that's going to define us? Which of those two is going to win? Is it going to be body or is it going to be mind? Okay, so let's let's start then with this conversation about sex and gender, because for most of my life, I think I would have used those terms interchangeably, but you did not just use them interchangeably. In fact, it seems like no one's using them interchangeably anymore, that, there's, that they don't mean the same thing that maybe I, I had always thought that they did. So can you clarify what is the difference, or at least nowadays, what's the difference between sex and gender? Yeah, and I think you're right when we say nowadays. 
mm-hmm. uh, because it used to be that sex was gender and gender was sex. You're absolutely right. But let's tease it out the way it's being talked about in the current cultural conversation. Sex is what makes someone biologically male or female. And there are certain things that determine biological sex, um, reproductive structures, both external and internal, whether it's ovaries, whether it's a uterus, whether it's a, a penis on a man or testicles. Um, and there is a small group of people that can be born what is called intersex, uh, like, but 99.98% of all, very small percentage are intersex, which means that they're born with organs that are both male and female. They have some that are male and female, but that's very different than being born male and female. It just means you've got both sets of organs. 99.98% of all people who are born intersex and a very small percentage are, are indeed one sex. They may have some of those organs uh, as, a bio, as a biological anomaly, but they are and still primarily male or female. So um, what makes a, a male or female is reproductive uh, structures. Second would be hormones, estrogen in women and testosterone in men. Um, genetics is obviously plays a part you know, in relation to the Y chromosome. And so that we are sexually dimorphic, meaning we're male or we're female, is settled science. That, that, that's, that's not a debate. Uh, and, and the scientific community and the medical community has been quite appropriately um, uh, frustrated by, you know, it's like all things with the trans conversation and gender conversation, because they want to say, look, we, you, there's a lot of conversations you can have. But when it comes to what makes someone biologically male or female, that's settled science. That, that, that's not up for debate. So, so what is gender in the current conversation? Gender, which used to be synonymous with sex, biological sex, no more, is now separate from sex and has more to do with psychological factors and social factors and cultural dynamics. Um, and there's a sense of, of gender identity. In other words, what is my... What is my internal sense of self? And that's what gender is, what I perceive myself to be independent of my actual biological self. And that's really what the transgender movement is about. Transgender has become um, an umbrella term, if you will, of late for whenever there's incongruence of whatever form between biological sex and a sense of gender. And the ruling value system is that when there is any kind of dysphoria, when there is a sense where there's a disconnect between sex, biological sex, and my perceived sense of gender, then it is up to me to be able to decide who I am. Sure. And that's kind of what has brought us to where we are right now with re-examining like what is male and what is female and what qualifies and what if I don't match the stereotypes of my gender, if I don't, or my sex, or if I don't feel that way. And so. No, no, that's very, that's very different. There's a difference between gender, um, like roles and gender identity. And I'm glad you kind of brought that up before we move on to, to whatever you have next, because gender roles, which is the stereotypes of masculinity and femininity, quite frankly, that's a different conversation. I mean, nobody's really debating that and nobody's, I, that's not really a big issue. Like we're not, um, you know, like, like there's nothing wrong with somebody being a tomboy or there's something, you know, or, or like if a woman wears pants or, or if a, if a boy wants to play, I don't know, dance, ballet or violin, you know, the stereotypical kind of stuff. And, and when people want to kind of bring that into the conversation, I think that's, um, that's uh, a little irresponsible. We're really talking about something different. We're not talking about, 
you know, traditional gender roles, which actually can change from culture to culture. In fact, many, many centuries ago, it was most masculine for a man to wear pink. And that's not the case necessarily in later cultures. So we're not really talking about that. We're actually talking about gender identity, which is a different thing. Okay, that's interesting. Well, I, I want to get to a Christian worldview in just a second, but I always think it's helpful to kind of first start with how, how is our contemporary culture, how are we rationalizing or based on what theology are we grounding these definitions of sex and gender and how that speaks to who we are as humans? Well, don't use the word theology when you're talking about contemporary culture, because theology itself, theos and logos are two words that mean words about God and thinking about God. And they're not. That's the whole point. If they're, they're, Their worldview, let's use that, is, is not you know, catering to God or any kind of transcendent truth source outside of themselves at all. It's radical individualism. Uh, or what I've often termed autonomous individualism. There's no authority outside of ourselves. We are self-determining. We are our own God. Um, ultimate moral authority is self-generated. And so in that type of worldview, hey, look, if, if, I, if I was born biologically a man, but I want to be choose myself gender to be woman, that's my deal. That's my call. That is totally self-generated. I am in charge of myself and my life. And this, this philosophy of radical individualism is, is the number, I am convinced increasingly it's the number one philosophy of our day, which is individual freedom. And, and, and everything else pales in comparison to having individual freedom, which means choosing whatever you want. And there's an interesting little footnote on that, Lex, that um, those who are Christians uh, listening to this will find of interest. We, we, there's this word called heresy, and it's the opposite of orthodoxy within the Christian faith. And the root meaning of heresy is really interesting, heresis. It literally means to choose for yourself. The root meaning of heresy is that you're choosing by your knowledge, your understanding, your own motives, as opposed to making the choice that has been revealed to us from a transcendent God through revelation, or in the classical sense of the early church fathers, heresis, heresy was choosing for yourself over and against the apostolic tradition. Hmm. It's interesting what you said about theology of, in terms of like, that's not the appropriate word because people are not, this, there really is no place for God in a type of, I determine my own truth because where this gets, this gets tricky is, you know, the transgender conversation is also a question that's taking place within the church as well. And you'll have Christians who are struggling with this. So they're trying to understand, like, could, could, could God actually be a part of this? Like, could he have made me this way? Did he make me incorrectly or did he make me this way on purpose? And so I'd love to kind of shift to a scriptural view of this. Cause it's, I don't think God is silent on this, but I do think he's probably very misunderstood. So, um, can we kind of go to scripture and talk sure. about our sex and gender as distinguished nowadays, distinguished or, or are they two separate concepts throughout scripture or, and if I not, what do they mean? No, sex is gender and gender is sex in scripture. There's absolutely no bifurcation whatsoever. And this is deeply rooted in the very creation of who we are. You go back to Genesis 1 and 2, and you'll see that God created us in his image. And how did he create us in his image? He made us male and female. Um, and that was how we were created. We were meant to be a, a, a humans were meant to be a people of two types, men and women. We're a race of men and women, a race of that kind of diversity. It was not about how you feel. It's about who you are. 
And so we're made in the image of God, embodied as men and women with a soul. And that was immediately affirmed in terms of that when it was said, now go and be fruitful and multiply. In other words, take your sexual uh, differences, take being male, take being female, the embodied nature of how I created you in the image of God and procreate. Um, and we were designed to procreate in that sense. When we, uh, and then throughout scripture, so that's just rooted in creation. I mean, you can't get deeper theologically than those things that are part of the very fabric of our creation and who we were made to be in the image of God. But you go further in the scriptures and you find in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that anytime when a man presented himself as a woman or acted as a woman or a woman as a man, it was condemned. It was seen as completely against the way it was meant to be in terms of how it transgressed sex distinction. So, for example, in Deuteronomy 22, um, uh, you have this situation where it is condemned for a man to dress like a woman. I mean, it's, it's explicitly laid out that it is condemned for a man to portray himself, put himself forward as a woman and, and conversely as a woman as a man. And also in 1 Corinthians 6, you have Paul talking about um, men as prostitutes. And of course, when you do the background of Corinth, the way men were being prostitutes is that they would dress as women and then have sex uh, dressed as women. So they were having it with those kinds of of, of distortions. And so that's why homoerotic behavior is wrong as well as transsexual uh, behavior. Um, in, in because it transgresses sex distinctions. And that is such a key biblical concept. So if there's incongruence between biological sex and somebody's sense of self, to go kind of recap, science would say, well, who wins? Well, biological sex. Scripture would say, hey, it's biological sex. It's not a choice. But then again, and this can be what we talk about next, this brings up, you know, true gender dysphoria, mm -hmm. which is kind of another matter where it's not just someone choosing like sexual deviancy of some kind, but they, they truly have some kind of gender dysphoria. Well, and maybe, so I, I do want to talk about that. And maybe my next question will lead us to that. Because what I'm thinking is, I'm trying to imagine struggling, you know, with as I've heard people explain before, like being trapped in someone else's body or like, and, and, and I can imagine even if I were a Christian and thinking, I really want to honor God. And I see what scripture says, even if I'm convinced that it is as straightforward as, you know, you have just laid out, like, but I don't feel that way. Like my personal experience does not seem to match what's in scripture. And so I can't seem to find, like figure out why either God would make me this way or how this might even have happened. But like trying to understand that before even labeling this as right or wrong. How do we start to even yeah. begin to think about that? Well, let's go ahead and state the obvious that we're all sexually broken. I mean, we're all broken and sin-stained, sin-marred people, product of the fall, but we're all also sexually broken in various ways. And I think that someone who feels what you described um, I'm not going to argue with them. I mean, there, there is true gender dysphoria, and it affects about 0.5% of the population. Very, very, very small figure. Uh, but it, it, there's a sense where someone says, my internal sense of self just does not match my biological self. And I feel this tension, this incongruity. When I look in the mirror, I, I see a man, but I feel a woman, or I, I see a woman and I feel a man. And, um, and that's, that's real. That kind of dysphoria is real. Just like I've always felt, and I, I've never understood why Christians fight this. I've, I've always felt 
that when someone says they're gay, okay, you're gay. I mean, you don't argue and say, no, you're not. Of course, there's, there's people have a homosexual orientation, just like you can have gender dysphoria, just like you can have a whole bunch of stuff. Um, the key is what choices are you going to make in light of that? And will you buy into the philosophy that because I have this orientation, because I have the dysphoria, because I have whatever, that that's a license to pursue it. That's a license to embrace it. That's a license to legitimate it. And that's a terrible philosophy. I feel, therefore, that affirms whatever actions I take based on those feelings. Now, people who are gender dysphoric or have homosexual orientation will be horrified at my next you know, illustration, but it, it, but it is the philosophy. So what if I have uh, sexual attractions toward young children? I mean, does that, does that, do those feelings legitimate my pursuit of pedophilia? Okay, the world would say absolutely not. Okay, what if I have feelings that, that are within me of, of uncontrolled anger and hatred and I want to kill? Do those feelings give license to pursuing that behavior? Absolutely not. Most people would say, well, what if I have attractions to, I'm, I'm not trying to be grotesque, but what if I have you know, attractions toward animals and, and, and therefore sexual. And, and I want to, and therefore my feelings affirm bestiality. And so, it, so I feel like that's what gives me license. We would say, no, 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 no. Well, apply it across the board. Feelings don't give license. The question is, what are you going to do with your feelings? What are you going to do with these choices? What are you going to do with, no one's going to deny your orientation. No one's going to deny the dysphoria, but what are your choices in light of that? Particularly if you're a Christ follower, are you going to honor Christ? in the midst of that aspect of what is biblically uh, a broken part of, of, of your world, just like we all have broken parts of our world and we're all broken in various areas. Christ's call is to get the help you need to manage your gender dysphoria in light of a relationship with Christ, and then to surround yourself with people who will help you live in accordance with your sex. In other words, to live your life in a Christ-honoring biblical way in light of your dysphoria. Transitioning is not the answer. Uh, you know, giving into it, pursuing it is not the answer. That moves you further away from who you are rather than closer to who you actually are. Ooh, okay, so let's talk about that a little bit more then, because um, like you said, like our culture has become more supportive of changing your biological sex to become congruent with your gender rather than the other way around. And that um, has involved, you know, hormone therapies, transitioning surgery, kind of as you've mentioned. Um, but I mean, I've not done that before, but that sounds terrible. Like that sounds like, like, like physically that's not, that's not an easy route to take. Like that, is, that seems very invasive. That seems very challenging. Um, so I'm wondering like, but is, has it been proven to be worth it for those who are struggling? Like are, are, are studies showing that that is the solution that people who go that route are gaining the congruence that they have long sought for? There's a good book that we'll put in the show notes. And we'll also did a three week series on this called gender that we can put in the show notes where people can get access to it. There's also a really good book by Preston Sprinkle called Embodied, where he pulls a lot of, of evidence and studies and things. Let me see if I can summarize some of that. Studies show that people who transition, who medically transition have higher risks of mortality, uh, higher suicidal behavior, and higher psychiatric um, morbidity. Wow. <laughs> In other words, it's not working. It's not the solution. And then going further, mental health um, risks of trans people 
after surgery, after they've supposedly had, you know, what was going to solve everything. The mental health risks of trans people after surgery are much higher than non-trans people. And so there is a sense where studies are showing this isn't solving the dysphoria. This isn't, this isn't solving anything. This isn't suddenly making everything wonderful. This isn't suddenly making people not be suicidal, which is one of the great myths. It's actually increasing suicidal behavior. And so it, uh, there's nothing about transitioning in any of the studies I've seen that is proving to be at all solution-based. I think this is such an important thing to point out because if I'm not mistaken, it's become a lot more popular for young people as of late to identify as transgender. And of course, I don't mean to discount like the real struggle of those who experience incongruent gendered identity, but it does seem really dangerous to propose, you know, such invasive physical remedies for kids and teens who quite frankly are known to be experiencing a season of life in which their knowledge of self may be, not be so concrete or informed. Am I right? Oh, I, I, you know, this is called lobbing someone a, a softball pitch. <laughs> Uh, and, and there's so much that I, I, I'm concerned about here. First of all, let's remind ourselves that only 0.5% of the population, 0.5, is, is truly dealing with some type of gender dysphoria. So it's an extraordinarily small amount. But within, uh, and the wider population, about a little over 5% are truly part of, uh, of the gay community. And the vast majority of that 5.6% are bisexual. They're not exclusively lesbian or, or, or such. But you look at Generation Z, it goes up to 16%. Wow. So like, whoa, what is happening there? But what you have happening there is, and I've written about this in my book on Generation Z, is that they're marked by uh, sexual fluidity. Meaning there's this, there's this, there's this, value system that has been given to them through the post-Christian world and the sexual revolution that, I mean, this is the product of, these are our kids that we've produced because of our own sexual choices, you know, of the last several decades, but they have this openness and almost an obligation to feel like they've got to try everything sexually, that, it, that the worst thing in the world they could do is to be labeled heterosexual. That is best to say I'm bisexual because that is more hip, it's more trendy, it's, it seems like I'm more mature, I'm more open to various things. Um, and people, want, they want to go feeling by feeling, moment by moment, partner by partner, desire by desire. And there's even a sense within high school students where they feel like, well, I feel like I've, I'm not being true to myself until I at least try one uh, homoerotic experience. At least I, I kiss someone or I have some type of sexual relationship with someone or else I'm not being true to really determining who I am because I, because I need to find out what I am because what I am is so plastic and I really don't know and all that, which is, and so you have kids coming out of nowhere with this and a lot of it's peer pressure and a lot of stuff on social media. And then they see uh, shows like HBO's Euphoria, uh, which uh, is um, very much um, glamorizes uh, trans and almost, and there's a sense where in some schools, if you come out trans, you could have been a rejected person, but all of a sudden you're a popular person and that's very attractive to kids. And so you have this thing where it's called rapid onset gender dysphoria, where you have a child, 12, 13, 14, that has never shown any aspects of gender dysphoria in their whole life. And by the way, true gender dysphoria can appear as early as one or two years of age. Um, and just out of the blue, nowhere, just come home and say, hey, I want to be a boy or I want to be a girl. And then immediately those parents are told, and I think this is reckless and irresponsible and needs to be called out, that immediately when like a nine or 10 year old says this out of the blue, 
and and the vast majority are shown to have some type of some other mental issues that they're dealing with at the time, or it's peer pressure or social media, or they've got a friend that just came out as trans and got real popular or whatever. So anyway, this kid comes out and immediately the parents are told by the experts or the authorities or the school officials or the school counselors or some sexual clinic, oh my gosh, if your child is saying that at nine, you immediately need to start changing what pronouns you use. You need to immediately let them start dressing that way. You need to immediately put, you know, some kind of breast kind of thing on them so that it, it stops their breast. You need to put them on puberty blocking drugs. And, and, and it's just, it's like, whoa, whoa. Um, you know, there's something else going on here. For example, there was a clinic in the UK that in 2009 treated a whopping 17 young girls for gender dysphoria. In 2019, that went to 1,740. Okay, that is not because all of a sudden everybody became trans. That's something culturally. That is something that is, that is happening from the outside in, not from the inside out. This is a parenting issue. This is not a gender clinic issue. Uh, you don't treat a 12-year-old with drugs and surgeries. You're the parent, um, and almost like 95% of all kids that flirt with this grow out of it as long as it's not catered to by the parent or by other people. Your brain isn't even fully developed till 25, and a nine-year-old is going to come home and says, I think I've decided I want to be a girl, so let's go ahead and, uh, or a boy, and so let's go ahead and have surgically removed my, my, my uterus. Are we, are we, you know, there's a part of me, forgive me if I sound an old crotchety, but are we losing our minds mm -hmm. This is called parenting. Parent, that's what's called for. And what a parent does is a parent is informed, they're involved, and most importantly, they are in charge. And you are the mature one and the child is the immature one. And so this is not a time to panic and run to the gender clinics and go, oh my gosh, I've got to cater this. And this is what's so reckless, irresponsible, is that some of these uh, supposed people, supposed experts will say, oh, but if you don't do this to your child, they'll commit suicide. That is malpractice, because that's been proven to not be true. And that is this malpractice. And it's not true. And, and so um, we, need to, we need to fight back at culture doing this to our youngest children who are vulnerable, immature, don't know, and are being peer pressured. And when you go onto the sites, and this has been well documented, and you go onto the sites of anything, you can just Google trans. And all the sites do is try to talk you into the fact that you are. Make sure that you don't listen to any voice that might say that you're not. Bypass your parents and immediately start doing drugs and surgery. It's nefarious. Oh, that is frightening. Um, it is. But okay, well, so then let's, if that's not the solution, right? Like let's consider a biblical solution because in the past, like especially when the focus was more on like homosexual behavior, many in the Christian community really lauded this pray the gay away approach. And I don't think that's been a, seen as a huge success. Am, am I wrong about that? Like what are the, what were the results of that approach to as a solution? Well, I, I alluded to this earlier. I, I feel like the Christian community made, um, you know, a couple of just really, really bad, bad, bad mistakes. Uh, one was, um, just having disdain and hatred toward the homosexual community and, 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 and showing their supposed disgust toward the act. They showed their disgust toward the person and, you know, we hate you and big signs that say God hates fags and all of these terrible things. It just was not at all of Jesus. 
And I think that the Christian community has largely repented of that and well they should and asked um, the LGBTQ uh, community for forgiveness for a lack of love and compassion. And, and so, so that was one terrible mistake. I think the other one was, and I don't know why, but there was this insistence on denying the fact that someone could be truly homosexual. Like, like that, that, like they, there was something about like, no, you, you can't truly have that orientation. It's a, it's a, you're just choosing, you're just making a sinful choice. Like someone who chooses to drink too much or someone who chooses to have drugs or someone who chooses to have premarital sex or someone who chooses or whatever, you know, it's a, it's a, you're just making, you don't, this is not who you are. And I think that the reason that that was the case was because there was somehow this sense of they bought into the philosophy that the gay community was buying into. That if somehow we admit that this is how you are wired, then that we have to give legitimation to it. So we can't say you're wired that way because that would give legitimation to it, which to me is insane. That just was not thinking about it clearly at all. Um, like I said, we're all sexually broken. This is a sin-stained, fallen world. And there's all kinds of, of proclivities and temptations and lusts and, and attractions people can have that are incredibly evil and, and, and broken and, and perverse and, and certainly at the very least not as God intended. And, um, and, and, and so I, I think that what we need to say is, is that this whole pray the gay away or whatever, there are, I think there are some situations where someone could benefit from counseling. I, I hate that we kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater. I think there's some people who are genuinely confused about their sexual identity and, and some good counseling would help. In other words, I think there are some people who might think that they're gay and they're really not. Um, and, um, or at least they're bi at best and you know, they can make choices. But I think the real issue is, and I mentioned this earlier, is, 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 is that dysphoria can be real. The key is what you do, the choices you make. And, and, that's, and that's what I, I, I've had many conversations with uh, people uh, here at, at MAC, the church that I lead, uh, who are, are like, for example, I'll be talking with a lesbian woman who is a you know, delightful Christian woman who's given her life to Christ and you know, very upfront with me about um, you know, that they're a lesbian and I don't even bat an eye. And, and, you know, just there's, there's nothing but love and affection and affirmation for this person as a human being and someone who's given their life to Christ. My question to them always as a pastor is not like, well, how dare you be a lesbian or how dare you have that orientation? It's like, no, I don't have any problem with that whatsoever. Uh, my, my issue is how are you going to live in light of that? What choices are you going to make in light of that? How are you going to choose to honor Christ in light of that? And how can we as a community help you honor Christ in light of that and, and, and walk with you through that? And I think that's the greater question. Well, coming to the end of the podcast, then I, I know we always really try to take what could be maybe theological questions, but really embrace the spirit of true theology, which is to bring like matters of the mind to matters of the heart and then out into the world as an extension of Christ. And so kind of to wrap up today, I have kind of a multi-layered question. I think you've already hinted on this, but you may have some more to add love always comes by way of understanding. And so I'm wondering, like, for those who are struggling with gender dysphoria or same-sex attraction, who feel so misunderstood and who feel so jaded by people making, you know, rash generalizations about their experience, how, what would be something that they may, or maybe you personally have heard someone tell you, like, if only Christians could understand this about me, I would feel so much more love. So that's question one. And then added to that would be, and yet, 
how can we affirm people who struggle with gender dysphoria, same-sex attraction, without coming across as supportive of any decisions that they would, they've made or will make that we would deem to be unbiblical? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll answer as a pastor. I, I would father them. And I think here's what a father does at his best and, or a mother does at her best. Um, you, you unconditionally love and accept, but there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. There's nothing you can do to make me love you more. I'm foolish over you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. Um, and I'm not going anywhere, <laughs> you know, and, and I just, you know, so you're stuck with me because I'm foolish over you. Um, and then the second is, is that you listen to their story. Talk to me talk to me. I mean, I've, I've had so many conversations. I said, just help me understand. Tell me, tell me your story. Tell me the progression. Tell me the hits and the hurts. Tell me the fears. And, and just let me, can I just listen and, and not judge and, and not critique, but just let me, I want to listen. I want to understand. And then when all of that is, is over, you say, you know, you know, here's, here's what I think Jesus would say to you. Here's what scripture would say about a sense of true north. And I think you know what a sense of true north is too. And so what I want to do is how can I help you follow true north? How can I walk with you? How can I, how can I support you? And, and, and almost every time the answer is, I just need, I just need community. I, I need community. I need family. I need people that I can be open with and honest and not feel like I'm hiding this. And they all know and accept that they encourage and affirm me and they help me and they, they wrap me up. I mean, I think that the, the, the heart cry of what I've heard from so many people in, in both the trans community and in the gay community is, is, a, is a, a, a sense of where they've been rejected, they feel isolated, and they're hungry for community. And they often, the only times they can get it is by pursuing their orientation whether it honors God or not, they pursue that or they pursue or pursue transitioning or whatever. In other words, that's the only place where they can find it as opposed to the Christian community because they feel shunned or rejected. So I think that what we can do is listen to their story, um, express love and affirm God's love for them and how God is foolish over them and how God has a plan for their life and how God you know, is, is not like turning away from them over what they're struggling with, but wants to help them through it. I think when the church can do that and be that it's when the church is really being the church and it's being at its best. And so I'm, it's, so it, it brings me great joy that I know of obviously, and you do too, multiple, multiple, multiple people in the Met community who've given their lives to Christ, who will tell you some of them more publicly than others that they're, you know, that they're, they're gay or they're lesbian or, or, and, and yet, but they're celibate and they're trying to follow the Christ life and, and they understand what the Christ life is. And, 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 and it's just helps us know how to uniquely love and walk with him as a brother or sister, just like when I share who I am in various areas, I have a community that walks with me and knows the areas where I'm needing community help. And so th this is not any different of a challenge or a struggle. What well, is a different challenge or a struggle, but it's not in degree any different than it is with other things. And we shouldn't look at it anymore, but just realize with great empathy that this is real for people. And, and we need to, um, to love them at the point of your greatest need. Thank you. I think that's a great place to stop. And as Jim mentioned, we've got a handful of resources that I think because we weren't able to hit on all the things we could have talked about, but that are really important to this conversation, we'll um, include them in the show notes. So please take a look at that. But otherwise we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks. 
Thank you for listening to this week's installment of the Church and Culture Podcast with Dr. James White. We hope it was not only informative, but challenging and the start to an ongoing conversation. To stay up to date with all the latest, check out the daily headline news and subscribe to the Church and Culture blog, all found at churchandculture.org. You can even keep up with Jim by following him on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at James Emery White. We hope you'll join us next week. Goodbye for now.